Hello and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines with myself, Gary Middleton, and special guest today, UEFA grassroots mentor at UEFA and former head of grassroots delivery and coaching at the FA, Les Howie. Les, Gary, good morning. Morning, Les. Um, many thanks for coming on, on this, from the sidelines today. Les, we're going to have a chat about, well, general chat about grassroots football, uh, but mainly around education. Um, so our paths have crossed many times over the years, Les, on courses and workshops that you've delivered and supported on uh, within FE Education. Do you want just to inform everyone listening in uh, a little bit more detail around your roles within the FE and I suppose your journey over the last 20 years, Les? Gary, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I was very fortunate. I worked at the English FA for, for 23 years. Um, Started off that journey as a regional football development officer in the Midlands, where I was. I moved from the northeast down to the Midlands in the early 90s. Um, so got the job in in that, and and that was the first time the FA had regional football development staff. We're thinking now about the the work that's going on developing again. Uh, there was a team of five of us, and our responsibility was to bring the chart of equality which Howard Wilkinson, the then technical director, had published and working with people like Robin Russell and um, and Les Reed in producing and the technical staff. And the chart of equality was a reaction to, and I think people might forget this, we had a period in the late 80s and in the early, in the late 70s, 80s, where we regularly failed to qualify as a national t- game into um, World Cup and European Championships. Mm. Um, so the Charter for Quality looked at that. A number of recommendations in the elite side around the academies and the formation of academies, uh, around women's football coming under the auspices of the FA and look at the massive growth of that. And the area myself and our team looked at was grassroots. And the biggest one was looking at mini soccer. Because we think back, and Gary, you'd, you'd have played in them days, we had seven-year-olds playing on a full-size pitch with a full-size goal. And we had the big debate around that we wanted to move that to being 77 a skill down pitch. And we'd go around the country promoting it. And people listening to this now, a generation later, will be amazed. There was there was a big, a big lobby against it. Yeah. There was a big anti-mini soccer. They wanted to keep their 11 aside football. Uh, there was actually a demonstration on Lancaster Gate, um, a march up the street with the Blackhawks. <laughs> And if you ask anyone now, they'll look at it and say, oh, they just wouldn't believe it. But that was the big one. Um, and that role I then, and it's interesting, the, the manager of that team, the, the national development manager, was John McDermott. And of course, John's now technical director yeah. uh, at the FA. So um, good team, some some good people in that team, people like Jeff Davis, who'd go on to lead a lot of the disability work, Graham Keely, who then went on to develop the, the mentoring work. So some really good people. Um in there on the women's side, we worked with the girls and women's development staff, uh, people like Kelly Simmons, who's done yeah. a great job in professionalizing the women's game and the work she's done. And then like Donna McIver, who's really instrumental in what football education looks like. Rachel Pavlo, absolute legend in developing a good so you start Lucy Well, you start looking at the number of people who started a career at that time. Um FA was quite different then. I was a 33-year-old at the time. And I was one of the youngest by, by a long way. So you look at how the, the FA has changed. Um, so anyway, that was my first role. The other big part of that, Gary, was the um, was the introduction of what they called then Charter Mark, which would evolve into Charter Standard. 
And because of my club background, I'd been involved in, see, I grew up in the, the old National Association of Boys Clubs movement and, you know, Northumberland and, and the NABC League as it was then, which yeah, yeah. Uh, they're the um, Pinpoint League, I think it is. Northumberland Football Leagues. Northumberland Football Leagues, I yeah. started in that and, you know, I, can remember, I was face chair a couple of committees that many, many years ago. Um, and then from that, I got asked to lead on the chart standard club work. And then I went on to be the first national club development manager, ran the Charter Standard programme at the same time, then looking after the mini soccer and youth programme and volunteering. And then got asked by Robin Russell to look at the level one coaching course. Because in them days we did the JTM, yeah. and which was 10 hours. And Gary, you probably delivered it as well. Yeah, yeah. There was a curriculum, but everyone put their favourite games in. So in yeah. Durham, you know, I'd, I'd come across stuff and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, that's your way for B type work. But because it was the coach educator's favourite drill, they were doing it on, they were doing it on a um, JTM. Yeah. You do the JTM, you do the old football story, and then you do your UEFA B and you, you do your UEFA A. Because the, the new UEFA convention was quite new then still. Um, Robin asked me to look at the level one. And one of the things I stepped back and thought about, and I had a little working group with us, and one of the things I did in that working group, I'd got one of the most negative people at mini soccer. I brought him on the working group because right. actually his knowledge of grassroots football was fantastic. And in fairness, once he'd seen mini soccer, he actually gave one of our biggest supporters. So, but you, you, you don't just want people who agree with you around the table. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the thing. That's one of the challenge I'd say with modern society. And I, we might talk about that later, particularly since COVID, we've lost the ability to disagree. Mm. Now I was believed in a room to be creative I want a difference. I want a different opinions, different ideas, different backgrounds. So anyway, we got this group together and we, we basically, the, the, the challenge we had, if we put everything to level one everyone wanted, we'd have had a brilliant two-hour programme for volunteers, but no one would have done it. So we then stripped it back, said, what, what do we need? We need a little basic first aid. Child protection had just been introduced about 18 months earlier. Child protection is absolutely vital that we get the messages out about safeguarding children, safeguarding volunteers. I probably want a bank of 2024 20, activities that I can do with young people who are lots of ball moving and interactive. Uh, I need to know a little bit about running the team and running the club. And I need to know a bit about laws of the game because probably half a dozen times a season I'm going to have to referee. I need to know about children. And that's where, that was a starting point. Um, interesting now, the technical group we had, you know, and again, there's some stuff about the technical group we had looking at the design and the practices was um, John Alpress, and, and John, again, absolutely look at his, what he's achieved in the game and his reputation in, in that, almost that youth development phase. Peter Rivian, who then went on to be academy director at Watford and West Ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham Keeley, um, Richard Allen, who would go on to be academy manager at Tottenham and would then um, head of talent ID at the FA, and he's now a consultant with uh, FIFA. Uh, and myself, and that was the technical team that put that together at the time. So I did that. Um, going on a bit here, Gary, but I will. I yeah, will yeah, all right. Let's keep questions. going. Really interesting. Um, bit of a restructure at the FA. The FA likes restructures about every four years. Um, and Trevor Brookings arrived. Trevor's come in. There'd been a period uh, from between '98 to about 2005 when. Grassroots had moved out of technical and it had moved into a grassroots department. 
Uh, Howard, uh, Trevor came in and brought it all back under one roof. So you had technical grassroots under one roof. Um, Trevor then asked us to look at coaching because I wanted you'd seen what I'd done in the level one. And my role, Gary, often look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a grassroots coach. That's what I am. And I, I, I think I understand the grassroots games. I've been around it a long time. And as you heard with the team I put together around the development level one, I brought in people who are really good at the technical mm -hmm. side. Yeah. And my job was to facilitate, manage, try and get the best out of people. Um, so we did the first report and some recommendations. I've still got that. And I look back now with some of the stuff we talked about in that first um, report for Trevor. We talked about we need regional coach developers. Uh, we need a pathway in coaching. Uh, we need mentoring. We need to prioritise five to 11 year olds. We've got to look at youth coaching. Um, all them things would go on and evolve. And then Trevor was brilliant as an advocate for coaching youth development. Absolutely passionate about it. And it meant he had someone who was then driving that. Um, he then got some money and we got money to appoint eight regional coach development officers. And uh, we went out. And again, I was doing recruitment and and we deliberately wanted to appoint people with different ideas, different backgrounds. So they all would have an A license when they walked in the room. But Graham came into that team who came from a coach ed and teaching background. Julie Chipchase, you know, yeah. Julie, absolute, yeah, yeah. absolute star within the women's game and developing the game. She came in from that women's football and she'd been an FDO in um, West Riding. Um, still managing Leeds United and what would then become the Women's Super League and, and Donny Bells. Um, Pete Sturgis joined the team then. Paul Holder. Alan Gillette, who'd been first team coach at Wimbledon and Watford with Dave Bassett. Steve Rutter, who'd been a, a England youth team coach. So absolutely, um, we brought in people, Darren Bulls, you'll know, you remember Bulls. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. brought in people uh, Andy Poole, who all had different ideas. So all passionate about coach development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when we sat in the room, because Pete Rivian came then as well, when we sat in the room, we'd all come at a slightly different focus and angle. Yeah, yeah. And we had, we'd have some, never arguments, we'd have some brilliant debates mm -hmm. about what is coaching, how to support coaches. Mm -hmm. But when we left the room, it was absolutely, no, this is the way, this is what we're going to do. We'd, we'd agree yeah. on the way forward. Yeah. And that was it. And you, and you look at, you know, the influence some of those people then have and still have on the game. So that was that. And then it evolved. And, and next thing, Trevor wanted to look at 5 to 11s. And uh, I remember uh, there was rumours we might get a sponsor and we might get some government money. I remember sitting with Kelly Simmons. We are at a UEFA event and we're literally at the back of the room and we're talking about the back of an envelope. We literally were sitting there. So we get this budget. This is how many people we can afford to employ. We got money off the government. Skills Tesco came on board as a, yeah, yeah. As a sponsor. And we've got the skills programme. Um, and we end up with 66. And people say, oh, was this was this you in England having to talk about 66 World Cup? And it was, no. It's what the budget divided by, the salary we wanted to pay people with expenses. And that's what we could afford. Mm -hmm. um, and we end up with skills programme. Trevor then found more money to bring in some more regional coaches. And I remember the skills programme. I always saw it as, and we got the youth awards about the same time. Yeah, so yeah. like Sturge was writing level the mod one. Mm -hmm. uh, Noddy Paul Holder was looking at mod two. John Press was at mod three and Steve Rutter going across them um, in there. And you look at then some of that work, that innovative work. Um, 
Well, so we brought in we brought in lots of good people then as well. Kate came and joined the team, yeah. and it's really interesting now. Our solar skills program was about providing brilliant coaching for five to eleven year olds, changing the culture and what we thought children's coaching would look like. It was providing training for everyone in the in the models. It was modelling what we thought best practice should look like in our what we were delivering, and it was about the next generation of coaches. And it's really interesting now. I look back. I'm looking at people like uh, Andy Foster, um, Craig Dean, who's their head of recruitment at Leeds, who was at Newcastle for a time, uh, Graham Carrick, who we just talked earlier before started recording. Graham's the under eighteen coach at Newcastle, skills coach with history. Gemma Granger, manager of the Welsh women's team. Yeah, skills coach. It was her first job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Farah Williams, mm-hmm. who's now doing the BBC Match of the Day. That was her first full time job. Um, loves them. Um, First team, Luke, first team manager at Nos County, was in the skills program. Actually, when you start going through it, the number of them who then went on to be academy managers, first team in the men's and women's game, international coaches, is massive. So now, and then the next big project, what was missing? Uh, we then reviewed the level two. What was missing was a mental program. And again, Trevor, we got some money, got some. We looked at Finland, who were doing a great mental program, right. and we adapted to what we needed here. So. In that time, I was very fortunate to work with some really brilliant people who are all passionate, creative. As I say, but we had some really big debates. But I think you need that if you're going to be creative. Because if you all sit in the same room and all historically, when I grew up, the regional coaches, as the word named is, all were very similar profile. And when we set the team up, we deliberately, I deliberately want a difference in the room. Absolutely passionate, love of the game, passionate about developing others. But we could have difference. And spark. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was that. Did that, did that for a number of years. And then um, then there was a change in direction. And, and then um, I was very fortunate. I did different roles at the FA. And there was then, you, you know yourself when it's just, I've done what I've done. Yeah. Uh, time for a new challenge. So mm-hmm. in about 20 minutes, I've given you 23 years. <laughs> Les, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to that, what you've just been saying then. You've 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 worked and you've employed, you know, so many really knowledgeable football people and worked with them to develop the game. Um, and you've obviously seen such a change in as the game's evolved. I would say for the for the good of the game over them that period that that, that you've just discussed. Um, one thing I'm going to ask you about. So COVID hit, and um, the level one that you delivered on, I delivered on, and you were working face to face with the coaches and showing them uh, games that engaged the players uh, on the pitch practically. Um, and you 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 talk through the different topics within the level one that was important for that grassroots coach, the mum, the dad uh, who's just starting out, possibly running their child's team, to uh, be able, to, as we say, engage and create that positive love of the game for the young players to continue to keep keep playing the game and, and loving it as the as the grow older. Um, and COVID hit, and we've now gone to. Uh, an online format. Um, what's your thoughts on that? 
there's probably a couple of things I'll take out. What one? It'll be really interesting five years time when we sit back and write the book on COVID about how we analyse, or maybe it's not the important things. I'm not one of those who criticises people for decisions they made in COVID. You know, I know we've got the government review and that because it was a, it was a something. I don't think any government, any organisation can say they really managed COVID well. And I'm not going to blame people for that because it was just a probably I hope it's a once in every two or three lifetimes. Okay. Yeah. The challenge will be what lessons do we learn? And what would I do different? Or probably if uh, you know, I'll even look at An Andrew's chief executive in the form of the FA. What letter would he put in the drawer to his successor, successor, successor the next time there's a big panic like that? What would Andrew say? I wish I'd done this differently. I wish I spent more time doing this. I wish we hadn't done that. So that's a by the by. I think there's, there's a real challenge there. Um, use of technology has got to be embraced. The challenge is where do we balance it? So there's there's two schools of thought. There's one is like, oh, I can do loads and loads more online. I remember once talking to someone who said, oh, we, we, we should be able to, if you can do a master of dentistry online, you should be able to do a coaching course online. Because they'd seen it where it was basically the camera would follow the dentist's work and they could yeah. be on the other side of the world assessing yeah. it. I said, great. I said, well, you got your remember is one, you only deal with one set of teeth. Yeah. And the teeth don't move around when you're trying to do the work. Mm -hmm. And that's what coaching is. Yeah. It's dealing with variables. Yeah. And that's the challenge. So modern technology, online, stuff we're doing now as a podcast, brilliant. Uh, um, providing additional information, recording the session to review, absolutely brilliant. There is some information we can share. But ultimately, I'm a believer, and maybe it's just because of my generation, at some stage, you've got to get across the line and get under that rectangle and coach. And when you coach, you've got to have better interact with people and you've got to be able to adapt and be flexible to what's in front of you. Yeah. And the challenge for them, and by the way, there's not just in England. I'm seeing, you know, it's a, I've just, I was at the Coach Educator Conference in um, Neon about 10 days ago. And it was a big debating point about how do we manage, how do we use, instead of saying online is the only solution, how do I use online and modern technology in a blended learning? And where do I have my blend? They're, they're the challenges going forward. But ultimately, ultimately, you've got to get on the pitch. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll say that I could still play if no one tackles me and gives me 30 seconds to make every decision. I'm sure you could as well, yeah. Karen. Yeah? <laughs> but the game ain't like that. Mm -hmm. There's always something happening. And ultimately, it's what you're doing across the line. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, what you're observing and how you're interacting with what you're observing. Yeah. And and it'll be interesting how it reviews and pans out. It's like we're getting new. It's it's quite new still. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure in the next four or five years, we'll we'll get that. We'll find the sweet spot mm -hmm. of where it works for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's an interesting debate. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Because of course, yeah, yeah. The, the other challenge, and this is something I was always balancing in my in my role. What will the public pay for the cost of a course? You can remember when I was head of um, an associate director of grassroots coach at the FA, it was also, oh, courses are too expensive. So what will people pay? Mm -hmm. You know. So if you only yeah. want, if you yeah. want it free, you want it cheap, well, this is the rule. If yeah. you want more quality and more depth and more face-to-face -face and more personal support, well, this is the cost. Mm -hmm. And and that becomes the big debate as well about uh, what will the game, what will the game accept? So yeah, 
in fairness to FA education, they, the challenges they're always under. They have a budget they're given. They have to deliver. There's pressure from the counties. The game expects X. But by the way, we're only willing to pay Y. Mm -hmm. So they're always... I've sat there trying to balance them many times. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they're the... And that'll be the honest conversation with the game. Now, what I think has changed, I go back to 98 in the introduction of mini soccer. Um, we did a survey. Less than 1% of every grassroots team in the country had anyone who'd done an FA course, even a 10-hour JTM. Now, because of Charter Standard, because of the work we've done in coach development, that figure, when I left, was up to 85%. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. Now... So, and, and now the advantage of that, now we start thinking about what the game looks like. That's 85,000. 85,000 have been trained in safeguarding. Yeah. That's 85,000 who know first aid. So, if something happened mm -hmm. on the street, would have a basic understand that. Mm -hmm. That's, and by the way, that's 85% of 85% of clubs. It's it's close to now, almost that level one that we talked earlier from when it came to 2002 to 2019 had trained 300,000 people. Mm hmm. So it, it 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 it's that sort of difference. It's it, it, but at some point the game will decide where it moves. Yeah, and what's missing yeah. and what's needed um, in there. But the, the, there's always the balances. I'm sat in that chair because the budget's the budget. Mm. And, yeah. and 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 how do I make that work? And yeah, and what and, and the costs are going up and everything else. So and, mm. and it's, so what what would be the sweet pot for the game? So so. And, and it almost goes back to what's the point I made earlier. If I put everything in level one that everyone said should be in, would have had a brilliant two-hour course that no one could afford to go on. Yeah. And that's sort of you've got to say, well, actually, these are my priorities. That's the key information. This is what the the need at that stage of the game. And thinking it is a pathway around CPD, um, what comes next, the level two, UEFA scene and everything mm. as well. Um, yeah, I'm probably the same school as you. I believe mm. we need to get on the grass more. Mm. But I can also take that step back and mm. understand why that's been made. Mm. Great, interesting that, Les. Les, um, obviously you're jet-setting all over Europe with UEFA and going to different countries, uh, supporting their development. Um, what, what do you see the role as the volunteer coach in grassroots football? I've got I've got a whole forty minute presentation on that. Maybe he's uh, <laughs> maybe when a, maybe when a new centre's open, I'll put, do a session on that and on them. Look, the role for me, the role for me is dead simple. It's to enthuse, inspire, mm. and educate young players. Yeah. So I want them enthused and motivated so they keep coming back, inspire them to be the best they can be, not just on the pitch but as young people, and educate them in life and in football. Yeah. And if you get that right, and I'm always being a good, just get the ball rolling. Yeah. Get the ball rolling. And if the if the youngsters are coming back next week or the adults are coming back next week, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Just get the ball rolling. Get them lots of touches to the ball. Get them involved. Give them opportunities to make decisions. And then, you know, just just enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I used to laugh so I used to get coaches say, oh, I need more time with players. It's it's funny. I was I was on a I was on a panel once, and. Uh, the ex-Chelsea manager, Robbie DiMatteo, Champions League yeah. winning coach, yeah. said, Les, I tell you how to solve grassroots football in your country. Right. I've got a Champions League manager. Tell you, what I'm doing. He said, <laughs> you need to train four times a week. Yeah. 
brilliant, I get it. But A, they're all volunteer coaches. B, having still ran a grassroots team until my son was 18, 19, we're lucky we get a quarter of a 3G for one hour. Yeah. So, the, 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 you know, it, it it's coming up with the right solutions. So, anyway, by the way, I used to get coaches say to us, oh, I need more time my players. So I'd go and watch the session and the ball would run 15 minutes out of the hour. And I used to say to them, right, I can quadruple your access to time with the players. I said, how's that? Said, Shut up and let them play. Mm-hmm. And instead of stop doing stop, stand still, do a little drive-by. Just think, open your body up a bit more. Think about your pass into the middle. Think about your way to pass. You know? And, and yeah, that's yeah. how we then, if you think back to the, that's how we started to adapt the level one. That was all the big messages on the mod one. Mm-hmm. And on the level two, now you're for C. was all mm-hmm. about that. It's about mm-hmm. creating an environment where there's lots of touches of the ball to maximise yeah. the time you have. It, it's interesting. In 